Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. You know Cuba is America's closest adversary in terms of sheer proximity. Today, a visit to the communist island nation to hear their government's view of the long-standing U.S. embargo, how it really came about, Cuba's relationship with China, threats to the U.S., and what happens next. Sunday, November 19th, is my cover story on Cuba post-Castro and the rocky relationship between Cuba and the U.S. and what it's done to Cuba and the Cuban people. Why is it we still have an embargo against Cuba that cripples the communist island and the people who live there? Why do they get the tough treatment that we don't give to communist China or communist Vietnam, even after Castro is long gone from Cuba? In today's podcast, you're going to get to hear the modern Cuban government viewpoint from Carlos Fernando de Cosio, Vice Minister of Foreign Affairs. I begin by asking him what's his understanding of what the U.S. says would have to change in Cuba for the embargo to be lifted or for there to be a different economic relationship. Here is Carlos Fernando de Cosio. The U.S. has had a changing goalpost during the years. Many years ago, it was our presence in Africa and solidarity with the peoples of Africa, then that we supported countries in Central America, at another moment that we had a relationship with the Soviet Union that doesn't exist, it has been changing the goalpost. Then because we didn't have enough internet, then because we didn't have enough of a private sector. So they changed the goalpost. The the real aim seems to be a failure by powerful groups in the United States to accept or to understand that Cuba is and has the right to be an independent country. And there's an aim to control our economy. Can you explain um, in sort of a summarized version prior to the change and the revolution and so on, Cuba was almost a satellite of the United States for a time. Is that accurate? Yes. We were a neo-colony of the United States. They owned most of the land, most of the wealth, most of the utilities. They had the capacity to put and take out whichever government they existed. And they were the ones who legitimized what government could exist or perform in Cuba. What time period did it change where the Cuban people decided to make it where they weren't really such a satellite of the United States, but more independent? There was a growing uh, spirit or motivation by the population to change that reality. But at the end of the 50s, there was a dictator called Fulgencio Batista put in place by the U.S. that dramatized things. It made it critical, and that led to a rebellion that introduced a new government set to transform the reality of the country. Is it fair to say you think that the United States was dramatically impacted by the change in Cuba? Because a lot of private companies 
had a lot of business going on here. And, and as a result, the companies were shut down and operations were totally changed. The, the commitment to achieve full independence, to regain the wealth of the country, to ensure social justice for the population, led us to redistribute wealth and to redistribute property in the country. Inevitably, it put us in a collision course with the U.S., not because of design, but because the United States was owner of most, most of the wealth in the country, including the casinos, hotels, and other facilities that were owned by the mob in the United States. And that put us in a collision course. It seemed to me over the years, a lot of discussion was over Fidel Castro and the Castros. But are the Castros entirely gone from government now? Fidel Castro passed away seven years ago, but he has been out of the government for 17 years since 2006. And Raul Castro, who replaced him, is not president since 2018, and he doesn't even lead the party since 2021. So even though Raul Castro is recognized uh, as, an, as a leading figure in the country, he doesn't have a role in the government beyond being a legislator, but he has no active role in the thing. So the excuse of the United States that the Fidel Castro first and the Castros in, in pro were the obstacle for the relationship again, has been proven to be pretext because they're not in government anymore and they continue to have the same kind of economic warfare against Cuba. What do you suspect, if you don't think the true reasons are the reasons given, what do you suspect are the true reasons the United States has the policies that it does? An aim to control the fate and the destination of Cuba. And as I said at the beginning, the failure to recognize that we have the right to have our own government and the way we feel and to carry out a system of economy and policy which ensures social justice, which we call socialism. We don't do it against the United States. We do it for the benefit of the people of Cuba. Do you see any merit to the argument that in the United States there may be concern with Cuba so very close to our shores that Cuba has close relationships with countries that are considered adversaries, such as Russia and China? There's no evidence to prove that. The U.S. government, the people in the government have raised it, but there's no evidence of any hostile or offensive activity by the Russia, China, or any country that the United States would think is an adversary against the United States. The United States would have it. They would have taken action on it. It hasn't occurred. But it, has, it serves as an excuse for those that do not want any progress in the bilateral relationship. Can you explain how the Soviet relationship came to be when the United States relationship changed? It began when the, so the U.S. said that they would not buy Cuban sugar anymore. We didn't know where to sell it. It was the only crop that Cuba could export. And the Soviet Union says, well, buy it. So we sold it. Then the U.S. refused to sell oil. And the Soviets said, we'll sell you oil. Then the U.S. companies said, we won't refine. The, the, the refineries are owned, owned by the U.S. in Cuba refused to refine so we always said okay we'll intervene then and so he came to help so it was a a relationship that helped cuba at a moment where we had nowhere to turn and they expressed a lot of solidarity with our country at the time and they became quite a good partner and that lasted during the soviet union and that kind of relationship ended in 1990 with the former soviet union how do you suspect cuba would look today if not for the embargo that's what we would like to see. The U.S. embargo or U.S. blockade, as we call it, is today the main hurdle that we need to overcome for our development and for the progress of our country.
in spite of it existing, in a, with an overwhelming impact for the past 60 years, Cuba has been able to excel in areas that other countries haven't in terms of scientific development, transformation of the economy, well-being of the population, even though Cubans, anyone who would visit the country, would know that we live a very modest life, that our infrastructure needs a lot of investment in it, that we have lots of problems with our economy. But I would push to it, put to a test. Allow the U.S. to lift the embargo for just two years, just two years, and measure what Cuba can be done. In, the, in 2015 and 16, the Obama government introduced very limited exceptions to the U.S. economic blockade, and nobody would argue that at the time the, Cuba, the Cuban economy flourished, that private investment began to grow, uh, activity in the country, that the standard of living of the population grew, and that was just two years with very, very limited exceptions. So I would put that to a test. So you t- started to touch on it, but can you, des- can you describe the relationship with Cuba under Obama, Trump, and Biden? At the end of his administration, the Obama government introduced changes. The most important one was that it formalized diplomatic relations that continue to exist today. Uh, the Trump government didn't change that. But then introduced very mild uh, exceptions in the overwhelming economic embargo that had a positive impact and also progressed in the area of cooperation of areas of mutual interest. The Trump administration set back those exceptions, reduced the amount, the level of dialogue between the two countries, and practically shut down any cooperation between, two, between the two governments. The Biden administration has continued to apply the economic measures of Donald Trump. In other words, he has not reintroduced the exceptions of the Obama government. But I, will, I would say that it has rather applied with a lot of loyalty the measures taken by the Trump government, but it has reintroduced a level of diplomatic dialogue and the channels of communication, which are important, and restored some of the areas of cooperation, basically migration, which is of interest to both countries, law enforcement, environment, including terrorism, which is paradoxical because the United States has Cuba in the list of countries that allegedly sponsor terrorism. When did that go into effect? It went into effect. 11 days before the Trump administration left the government. It refused the pressure. It resisted the pressure to do so until the end. But the one that has been applying the impact and the consequences of being that list is a democratic government, even though it shouted very loudly when Trump reintroduced us in that list. Does Cuba support terrorist states or terrorist activities? We do not. We condemn terrorism in all its forms by whoever practices for whatever reason, in whatever way. We have been a victim of terrorism. We know what it means. We have thousands of deaths and people who have been mutilated and damaged to our country as a victim of terrorism. So we condemn it. We are very active cooperating in all the form, international forms. And we have signed any international instrument linked to terrorism. Was a reason given for the appearance of Cuba on the terrorist list? And was a goalpost set for how to get off of it? Yes, it was because Cuba was had in Cuba a group of representatives of the ELN, which is a guerrilla group for Colombia, that were in Cuba upon a request of the Colombian government for peace cooperation. And on the basis of protocols that need, needed to be met, Cuba was a grantor of that process, so we had to respect them. When the, when the government of Colombia decided to suspend the dialogues, they demanded for those people to be returned. 
We said there are international protocols that we signed that we cannot go back on that. We received the support of Norway as a partner in the, of anyone who participated in the process, supported Cuba's position. And thanks to that position, the new governor of Colombia reintroduced the dialogue and they're going on now. Thanks to Cuba's position. The, the Colombian government has requested, the European Union has requested, all of the governments of Latin America and the, and, and, and the Caribbean have requested the US government to take Cuba out of that list. And yet, because the excuse that was used was proven false, yet we continue to be there and there's no excuse today of why that, we're there. How does that further limit things beyond what they were already limited? It has a huge impact in, in Cuban economic activity every, in every country around the world because no bank institution, no financial institution would like to be accused of being cooperating with a country that is in the list of allegedly sponsoring terrorism. That would have for them an impact in the U.S. economy or the threat of having an impact. And that has a, because the list is totally arbitrary and has no legitimacy. But the U.S. economy has a huge impact around the world. It has a capacity to threaten and to punish and others don't want to, to run that risk. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Democrats and Republicans alike have joined to criticize Cuba on a number of fronts, including alleged human rights abuses. One example they give is the July 11th protests. They say there are still many people imprisoned unjustifiably. It is difficult to gauge how many people went out on the street to protest that day. Some say 15, 20, let's say 25,000. Most of them did it peacefully. A small group, maybe about a thousand, practicing vandalism, violence, inciting violence, attacking police stations, burning cars. Those were prosecuted. Most of them went to jail. Not all, most of them went to jail because some received other type of sanctions. Of those, perhaps about half have already been released. But it is not true to claim that people were put in prison because they went peacefully out to protest or because of the way they thought. Because the, the great majority of those never saw a policeman, were never interrogated, never saw a police station. It is a claim used to try to punish Cuba and to justify actions against Cuba. Some of them remain in, reason, in prison because the sentence have not been, have gone through. But in the U.S., on January 6th, many people went to protest in the United States. 
I would suspect the great majority of them peacefully. They were protesting the government. And many have been prosecuted. Some have been sent to jail. Some with sentences as, as large as 18 years without any violence or critical violence being committed. So why does the United States feel it has the authority to condemn Cuba and not look inside what is happening in the United States? Um, and then on the issue, I have just a couple more questions. And then if you want to add anything I didn't touch upon, you can add it. In the news in the United States, there is a lot about China and concerns and allegations that China has already been operating some sort of base or surveillance operation out of Cuba and plans to have some sort of larger operation out of Cuba. Is that true? We That came out in a story that was published by the Wall Street Journal and that has been repeated. No evidence has been put in place. I mean, that, no evidence, but is it true? It, it is totally untrue. We've told the U.S. government. We've spoken with them. We said more. We said that Cuba is a country under aggression from the United States, that we have the right to defend ourselves, that we have the right to establish defense cooperation with other governments, and we don't have to give excuses for that. Now, that being understood, what has been proclaimed, and then it's totally untrue. It's a fabrication, again, as others that have happened, the many that have happened in history, to try to make it impossible for there to be progress in their relationship between our two governments. Aside from a defense cooperation or a supposed spy base of some kind or military base, is there increasing cooperation between Cuba and China? Cuba has really, I'm sorry, China has really made a lot of inroads in many countries where the United States has perhaps stepped back economically and China has come in and provided infrastructure help and all kinds of things. Is that happening in Cuba as well? It's happening perhaps in a lesser level than other countries in Latin America, and but it's a good relationship. Most of our relationship is trade. We buy a lot of, uh, of products for industry in China. If we couldn't buy them in the United States, it's much closer and perhaps cheaper. But the U.S. laws prohibit it. We have to buy a lot in China. They give us financing, and they have invested in some infrastructure, for example, in a, an important plant for addition for news, addition and printing. In, in, I think, in the rail, in some industries. But it's a normal relationship, as we've had with Canada, as we've had with European countries, as we would have it with the United States if it were to be possible. I just say Cuba is not a threat to the United States. Cuba is not by far an enemy of the United States. There's no animosity. You can walk the streets of Cuba, talk with our people. And in spite of the difficult relationship, despite of the hostility, that we have been, that's not what we have suffered for many years. You will not find animosity or ill feeling from the people of Cuba to Americans. Our two countries could have a respectful relationship in spite of our differences. And I would think it would be beneficial for Cuba without a doubt. And we think it would be beneficial for Americans too. What do you think when you watch what you know of what's going on in America? What are your reflections today? I would think uh, with my mindset in Cuba, I am very concerned with the lack of information that Americans receive about Cuba, how much distorted information they receive, what's being packaged for, uh, uh, toward them. And I think that there's a level of contempt in the capacity of U.S. public opinion in interpreting by themselves. And that is a huge concern for us. It's difficult for us to overcome 
uh, that barrier. Uh, and sometimes I see in the U.S. a, a society that is polarization, polarization and violence uh, is increasing. And a lot has to do, in my opinion, but this is a personal opinion, with the increased concentration of wealth in just 1% or 2% of Americans that has grown dramatically since 1980 until today. And that's a huge problem that will have consequences socially, politically, in different terms. Americans will hear you say one thing and the United States government say something else. What are they to make of the two entirely different pictures being portrayed? They would have to look at it for themselves. Cubans are not prohibited to travel to the U.S. Americans are prohibited to travel to Cuba. Americans should ask their government to allow them to freely travel to Cuba and allow them for themselves to judge reality, not to have to ask for permission to see if it's granted or run the risk of being punished for exercising the wish to visit another country and learn by themselves. That was Carlos Fernando de Cosio, Vice Minister of Foreign Affairs, who I met with on a recent trip to Cuba. We waited a couple of years for the visa to be issued from Cuba. As a journalist doing work there, you have to have their permission to come in and do news stories. We finally got it. The United States does not allow tourists to visit Cuba openly. Cuba allows it, but it's forbidden by the United States under the current rules. If you'd like to see my full report on Cuba post-Castro and some of the color and flavor that we saw and experienced, you can watch Full Measure on a TV station near you on Sunday, November 19th. For a station list, go to CherylAckison.com and click the Full Measure page. Or if you don't have a station near you, you can always go to FullMeasure.News online, FullMeasure.News, and about 9.30, 9.32 Eastern Time, the program will be posted there and replays anytime. So let's say Sunday night you'll remember this or you're listening to this some days later. You can still go to fullmeasure.news and watch the Cuba story. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that if you did, you leave a great review, subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. And if you like this sort of material, check out my other podcast, the Cheryl Ackeson Podcast. The holidays will be here before you know it, and I have a great way that you can support independent journalism and find cool gifts for independent thinkers like you. Go to CherylAckison.com and click on the Store tab. You'll see products with clever slogans that show people where you stand, such as, I need to find some new conspiracy theories. All my old ones came true. And do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. <laughs>